kingdom is spreading, oh, tell ye the story, God's banner exalted shall be. The earth shall be full of his knowledge and glory as waters that cover the sea. In our last study, we found the whole company of the apostles together in Jerusalem for the conference to discuss the teaching of the Judaizers and the place of Gentiles in the kingdom of Christ. This is the last time we will find all of the apostles together. In fact, it is the last time that any of the apostles other than Paul will be mentioned in the book of Acts. That raises several questions which we want to consider in a few special studies. The book of Acts is commonly given the more specific title, The Acts of the Apostles. Of course, we have no autographs of biblical books, so it is impossible to know with certainty what titles, if any, were attached to the original editions. However, the title Acts of the Apostles is very ancient. It is present in the texts of the Vaticanus and Beza Codices, and the Moratorian Canon calls it the Acts of all the Apostles. In recent years, however, this historic and traditional title has come under a great deal of scrutiny, largely because it does not seem to be a very accurate description of the book's content. Mark Moore notes that Acts was a genre of literature that told the story of a hero and recounted the valiant deeds associated with him, and in this genre the book would be called The Acts of, followed by the hero's name. Thus, Josephus tells us about the Acts of Pompeii. We also know of the Acts of Divine Augustus, the Acts of Hercules, the Acts of Alexander, the Acts of Hannibal, the Acts of Paul and Thecla, and many others. And most scholars agree that the Book of Acts is the same kind of literature. But on that basis, it is challenged we ought not to call it the Acts of the Apostles, and certainly not the Acts of all the Apostles, because the apostles do not seem to be the main characters or the heroes of the book. Only Paul and Peter are mentioned at any great length, and as we've noted a moment ago, mostly just Paul. Other than John and his brother James, the other apostles are only mentioned one time by name, and although John and James belong to Jesus' inner circle during his earthly ministry, Acts records no words that they spoke and very few things that they did. In the case of James, Acts only records his death. Large sections of Acts focus on the experiences of other non-apostolic figures like Stephen and Philip. So some scholars suggest that we should break away from the ancient tradition and rename the book something like the Acts of the Church, or the Acts of the Risen Lord Jesus, or the Acts of the Holy Spirit. I think this is an overreaction. First, I'm not aware of any ancient manuscripts that have any of these titles, and I think it's unlikely that modern readers have seen something all the ancients missed. But more importantly, I want to suggest some caution against casting off the historic title on the bases just mentioned, because I believe that the apostles feature much more prominently in the narrative of Acts than it may first appear. In this study, I want to review and synthesize some of the things we have learned so far, and then to use that information to address some difficult questions. And I want to begin by looking at the apostles in Acts chapters 1 and 2. In Acts 1, 
Luke reminds us that the apostles were first introduced in the Gospels, twelve men who Jesus had chosen through the Holy Spirit. There were twelve in order to symbolically represent the twelve tribes of Israel and to manifest Jesus as the new Moses and the new David who would establish and rule over the new Israel, his church or congregation, according to Matthew 16, 18 and 18 and verse 28. He had chosen each of them deliberately and specifically. There were fishermen, a zealot, a tax collector, and a devil. And even the last one was selected with God's eternal purposes in view, according to Mark 3.13, John 6.70, and John 13.18. They spent about three years together, beginning from the baptism of John to that day when Jesus was taken up, Acts 1.22, during which time Jesus went in and out among them. They heard his preaching. They saw his works. They witnessed his miracles. They observed his wisdom and flawless character. Or to use the language of John, they beheld his glory. The glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth, John 1.14. Or, to use the words of Peter, they were eyewitnesses of his majesty. 2 Peter 1 and verse 16. Those two in particular saw the extreme manifestation of Christ's glory on the Mount of Transfiguration. But all the apostles were eyewitnesses of his resurrection from the dead. He was seen by many people, but in an extraordinary way, he presented himself alive after his suffering by many infallible proofs to them, being seen by them during forty days. As Peter said to Cornelius in Acts ten forty and 41, him God raised up on the third day, and showed him openly not to all the people, but to witnesses chosen before by God, even to us who ate and drank with him after he arose from the dead. Luke also reminds us that Jesus gave commandments to these men. Of course, he gave them the same commandments and instructions that he has given to everyone who would be his disciple, but he gave them some extraordinary instructions also. In fact, it is these commandments that caused them to be called apostles. The word apostle is a transliteration of apostolos, which if translated into English would be a difficult word to represent with any single term. Perhaps some good options would include ambassador or delegate or missionary. The last term may be best because it captures the idea of being sent out to perform a task, but it might lack the concept present in the other two terms of being an authoritative representative. Apostle carries both of these ideas. And these men were apostles of Jesus Christ. Paul introduced himself in both letters to the Corinthians, also his letter to the Ephesians, the Colossians, both letters to Timothy and to Titus. Peter also introduces himself this way in both of his epistles, and Jude used the expression in verse 17 of his epistle. And this term marks out that they were selected and sent out by Jesus himself. What did he command them to do? The most succinct iterations of his apostolic charge to them are found in a series of three meetings— he had with them during the 40 days between his resurrection and his ascension. 
And here the commandment is generally called the Great Commission. As we've stated, he gave and reiterated these orders several times. In fact, the accounts in Matthew, Mark, and Luke all represent different events during that window of of time. The first, recorded in Mark 16, was in Jerusalem on the day of his resurrection. Mark 16, 14-18 says, Later he appeared to the eleven as they sat at the table, and he rebuked their unbelief and hardness of hearts because they did not believe those who had seen him after he had risen. And he said to them, Go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. He who believes and is baptized will be saved, but he who does not believe will be condemned. And these signs will follow those who believe. In my name they will cast out demons, they will speak with new tongues, they will take up serpents, and if they drink anything deadly it will by no means hurt them. They will lay hands on the sick, and they will recover. The second occasion recorded in Matthew was at a mountain in Galilee some time later. Then the eleven disciples went away into Galilee to the mountain which Jesus had appointed for them. When they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and spoke to them, saying, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them into the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you, and lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Matthew 28, 16-20. The last occasion is recorded in Luke chapter 24, as Jesus led the disciples to Bethany, where he would ascend. Then he said to them, Thus it is written, and thus it was necessary for the Christ to suffer and to rise from the dead the third day, and that repentance and remission of sins should be preached in his name to all nations, beginning at Jerusalem. And you are witnesses of these things. Behold, I send you the promise of my Father, but tarry in the city of Jerusalem until you are endued with power from on high. Now, blending these accounts together, we find the commission of the apostles was to act as Jesus' agents in the establishment and increase of his rule over the earth. They would proclaim his victory to the nations, they would announce the terms of surrender to his rule, and they would communicate his commandments and instructions so that all who would surrender to him might actually do his will in this world. In Acts chapter 1 and verse 4, Jesus reminds the apostles, in addition to giving them these orders, he had reported to them a promise from God the Father. He mentioned this also in Luke 24. This promise is given and explained in John 14 through 16 during the Upper Room Discourse on the night when Jesus was betrayed. In keeping with the idea of apostles receiving power and authority to carry out their mission, Jesus said that God would give them a special assistance in their sacred tasks of testifying to Jesus and establishing his rule in the world, a credential namely, the Holy Spirit. John fourteen fifteen through 18 If you love me, keep my commandments, and I will pray the Father, and he will give you another helper, that he may abide with you forever, the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it neither sees him nor knows him, 
but you know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. I will not leave you orphans, I will come to you. John 14:26. But the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all things that I said to you. John 15, 26-27. But when the Helper comes, whom I shall send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth who proceeds from the Father, he will testify of me. And you also will bear witness because you have been with me from the beginning. And finally, John chapter 16, verses 7 through 15. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth, it is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the Helper will not come to you. But if I depart, I will send him to you. And when he has come, he will convict the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment. Of sin, because they do not believe in me. Of righteousness, because I go to my Father and you see me no more. Of judgment, because the ruler of this world is judged. I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. However, when he, the Spirit of truth, is come, he will guide you into all truth. For he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will tell you things to come. He will glorify me, for he will take of what is mine and declare it to you. All things that the Father has are mine, therefore I said, he will take of mine and declare it to you. Note that the Holy Spirit is identified as the one who will help the apostles in their work. He will help them by reminding them of all that Jesus spoke while they were with him, by teaching them things that Jesus was unable to teach them while he was on earth, by revealing the fullness of Jesus' will from heaven, by empowering them to testify concerning the things they saw and heard while they were with him from the beginning, and by directing them just as Jesus had directed them while he was present with them. Furthermore, note that in every case, Jesus declared that this helper would be given to them from the Father. And thus we feel confident that this is precisely what he had in mind when he spoke to them about the promise of the Father in Luke 24 and Acts 1. Now in Acts chapter 1, Luke takes these various issues, the apostolic witness of the person and work of Jesus, the commandments for the apostles to establish the rule of Jesus among the nations, and the promise that they would receive the Holy Spirit as a helper in that work, and he synthesizes them into what he calls things that pertain to the kingdom of God. Here's my explanation. When Jesus ascended into heaven, the Bible says that he received from the Father all authority in heaven and on earth. He was enthroned at the Father's right hand, and he was promised that he would reign until all his enemies became a footstool for his feet. But how is it possible for Jesus to rule the earth from heaven? This is a significant theological question, and many people have rejected the present reign of Christ because they cannot conceive of how he can actually and truly rule the earth without being physically present on it. Thus, there are some who teach that Christ will not begin to rule until he comes again. This is popular, but it is not an acceptable solution because it runs completely counter to what the Bible says, namely that Jesus is reigning now, and that he will continue to reign until he has conquered all of his enemies but death, and then he will return and defeat death in the resurrection of his saints, 1 Corinthians 15, 23-28. The apostles are the solution. It is through the apostles that Jesus from heaven reigns over the earth. 
He told the apostles that when he went away, the Father would send the Spirit to them, and the Spirit would take of what was his and deliver it to them, and they would in turn deliver it to those on earth, so that all might, through them, believe. He said that we believe on him through their word, John 17 and verse 20. This is how it would be that whatever they bound on earth would have been bound in heaven, and whatever they loosed on earth would have been loosed in heaven. This is how it would be that when men heard them, it was as if they were hearing Jesus himself. The reception of the Helper by the apostles was the formal inauguration of the reign of Jesus Christ over the earth because, through their witness, Christ could manifest his glory to the nations, and through their teaching, Christ could communicate his will as sovereign Lord to his people. Join us next time as we continue our review of the theology of the apostles in the book of Acts. Thanks for listening to Verse by Verse. I'm Clinton DeFrance. I'm a Christian Bible student and evangelist from Tulsa, Oklahoma. And this podcast is made available by the Congregation of Christians of which I am a member in East Tulsa. Please come meet us if you have the chance. You can learn more about us at our website, tulsachurchofchrist.com. Our music is from Andrew Martin, a very talented Christian brother in the Dallas-Fort Worth area of Texas. You can check out his SoundCloud for more beautiful and uplifting productions from him. For news, articles, previous episodes, or to request a Bible study or a lecture series with me, visit vbvpodcast.com. Please subscribe to the podcast and give us a good review if you enjoy the studies. God bless and have a great week. From all the dark places of earth's heathen races, oh, see how the thick shadows fly. The voice of salvation awakes every nation, come over and help us, they cry. The kingdom is spreading, oh, tell ye the story, God's better exalted shall be. The earth shall be full of his knowledge and glory as waters that cover the sea. With praising and singing and jubilant ringing, their arms of rebellion cast down. At last every nation, the Lord of salvation, with glory their effort shall crown. The kingdom is spreading, oh, tell ye the story, God's banner exalted shall be. The earth shall be full of his knowledge and glory as waters that cover the sea.